As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week, trying to turn this blood, sweat, and tears. Big Jed, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Well, Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Well, not so much, Luke. Well, if you change your mind, you're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes, you guessed it, the Lawnmower 4.0. That's right, the 4.0. Complement your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. Yeah, Luke, the, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer that will change the way you approach your grooming routine. Okay. Uh, and that needs changing because I can tell got, you on my end. Yeah. That needs changing. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody's got products this good. So the lawnmower 4.0 will change that for you. You know, it's the fourth generation trimmer and it features the advanced skin safe technology to reduce grooming accidents. You know, you don't want, ingrown hairs or snags on your boys before beach season i mean who who would want that that would be a terrible thing to happen now the lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 rpm motor i mean i shift big red about 72 75 so 7,000 rpms is in my comfort zone i love it and the, the, the lawnmower 4.0 will zing it up there really good like coming out of the water box on the rug and it's got an on-off travel lock it gives you the ability to turn the, the 4,000 K LED spotlight on and off. So, you know, when you go into Bat Cave, you can really get a look at what's out there in front of you and, and not uh, get any surprises. So, you know, you need the lawnmower 4.0. Let's just make it that simple. You know, if the power grid goes out in Texas again, and that's bound to happen at some point, you can use your lawnmower 4.0 to illuminate the way that, that you're traveling so to speak. Uh, the LED spotlight's incredible. It gives you a great view of the terrain, if you will, 
that, that you're on. So uh, this is a great product and everybody needs it. Luke. You know, the sun's shining and it's calling your name, fellas. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer like I'm getting ready for by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping just simply by using the promo code JED. That's J-E-D. And you put that in, you get 20% off the product and free shipping. Go do yourself a favor or do the man in your life a favor by getting them the lawnmower 4.0 today. Wild Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, Ex-Girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. And their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE. L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss the strip teaser and the weekend hooker, Big Jeff. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I think I was, I was riding home from Norwalk this weekend. I get a text. We got a text thread, me, Mark, and Jed, and it is the picture of what looks to be a, a pristine. I'm going to say that's a Nova. I only see the middle part of it. Yes, from it is a Nova. World Footbreak Challenge. I believe it's uh let me blow up the name here travis ritchie yeah travis right red nova adorned down the side door the weekend hooker yeah i was standing on the the porch there at bristol just looking out as the cars rolled under the tower luke and just admiring all the foot breakers there and i looked down at that red nova because it's a red nova and you know i'm going to look at that and i see weekend hooker on the side of that sucker and i'm like oh my god how did I not, how did we not get this one sent to us? So I had to uh, snap a photo and send it to the, the production team here. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. So that's a, that's a good segue into this week's show, Big Jed. We are talking all things World Footbreak Challenge. You, your partner, Steve Stites, uh, combined once again, along with the staff at Bristol Dragway, to put on the most prestigious footbreak only event in the country you had a huge crowd we're going to talk about that uh, basically I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the stage to tell us all you want to tell us about wfc mm. uh we're going to talk a little bit about the sfg 500 cancellation we're going to 
uh, wrap up a couple of key events from the week prior, uh, the Firecracker Nationals at Byron, the Red, White, and Blue 20s at Holly Springs Motorsports, uh, a little bit of NHRA action as well, had back-to-back events, national event and divisional event at Norwalk, uh, Summit Race, Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park at Norwalk, Ohio. So we'll touch on all of that, um, plus, you know, the usual fun shenanigans. Uh, big show on tap, Jed. What did I miss? Although you didn't miss anything, um, you nailed it. I mean, you crushed it. Uh, you, I'm sure your shouts are going to be incredible, and I can't wait for those. And uh, there's some stuff that, that we need to discuss off air that, you know, uh, I need to get you guys clear on some stuff. But other than that, I think we're solid, bro. Uh, I will say this as we are recording, we've, we've recorded the show at this point. We're, we're doing the intro last, as we've kind of gotten the habit of. It is after 10 o'clock Central Time, so after 11 o'clock for uh, producer Mark. We are, Jed, uh, what, less than 48 hours removed from the conclusion of WFC. Uh, you had to drive home, you work today. I'll be honest, you sound tired. You sounded tired through some of this show, like uh, like catching up with you. That's that's it's, it's a rough week. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. labor of love, though. It's rough, and um, <laughs> you know, I had a um, a gruesome um, um, injury that uh, that we need to discuss off air, and we we did discuss it off air, and uh, so I'm tired, Luke. I'm in pain. I'm doing this show in pain. Uh, everything you're about to hear is me in tremendous pain, um, and so uh, I'm a professional. And I pushed through it, and and I made a, you know a great show out of it, nonetheless. But uh, just behalf, know, yeah, just know as you hear what I say throughout this show, it's in tremendous pain. On behalf of myself, producer Mark, and hashtag loyal listeners everywhere, thank you, Jed, for powering through. Luke, it's just what I do. You're welcome. Great show on tap. But first. Oh, PJ North. Big Jed. So the plan was coming into this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, we'll have a lot of racing to talk about. We will talk about the SFG 500. We will talk about the World Foot Brake Challenge. Those were the, the main talking points. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about both of them, but at this point, uh, the SFG 500 didn't happen, uh, so we won't talk too much about that. The World Footbrake Challenge did. Big Jed, obviously that's a race near and dear to your heart, and you can certainly give better insight than anyone, so let's start there. Take us through the weekend at Bristol. Well, Luke, I could certainly spend the whole show talking about the 15th BT World Footbrake Challenge, but I definitely will stop short of that. Um, it was simply incredible. Uh, obviously, we had a very large number of pre-entries, which we talked a little about on the show, but there wasn't, you know, the response was great. So there wasn't really, it wasn't necessary to, to advertise per se uh, or take up showtime. So we didn't talk much about it, but it was almost a record number of pre-entries. So we knew going in that we were going to have a large crowd. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the, the crowd was huge and the forecast was very poor for most of the probably six to eight days leading up to the event so those things you know tend to have a major impact on on the outcome of the event uh, as far as the turnout goes so 
I had a little concern there, but as I really dove into the weather, I realized that the, the weather was, you know, it was probably going to rain at some point, but it wasn't going to be like this complete washout type thing. It, it basically showed Friday was going to be a challenging day and that looked like it could linger into Saturday and then we would be clear. And as the week progressed, <clears throat> it, uh, it kept getting earlier and earlier. And we ended up with 12 hours of rain on Thursday. Like we, we had uh, 320 pre-entries. That tells us it's going to be a very large crowd because um, a lot of them still can double at the gate. And so we decided to get things started a little early. Uh, we, we opened up on Wednesday did some registration, got everybody in there on Thursday, <clears throat> started the test and tune from 11 a.m. until 4, and right at the end of test and tune, the rain began. Uh, we had 12 hours of rain, and it fell at the, for lack of a better way of putting it, it fell at the perfect time. If you're going to get 12 hours of rain at a, at a weekend or a four-day event, there's a very small window in which that can fall <clears throat> and not have a tremendous impact on your event. And it fell from 4 p.m. on Thursday to 4 a.m. on Friday. So, you know, it sounds like good timing. Yeah, it was really a good time. And we were very fortunate. And when two inches of rain falls, <clears throat> it, uh, it, you know, it has to fall at the perfect time. And um, as crazy as that sounds, it did. So we, we, called off obviously thursday's uh thursday evening's gambler's race which is originally a three grander we made it a five grander and was wanting to get everyone there early get some test and tune runs because there was only going to be one time run friday morning for the rest of the weekend <clears throat> race only saturday and sunday so we had to call off thursday's five thousand dollar to win gambler's race uh, we had a three thousand dollar gambler's race scheduled for friday night after the main event Got a little late start Friday, obviously. Uh, track crew worked very hard there at Bristol. Very fortunate to be at a place with great equipment and great people and uh, a willingness to just get out there and do what needs to be done. They got it dried up, Luke. We, we probably began our time trial around 10 instead of 8.30. So we're a little behind the gun, but, you know, it's something if things go perfect, we can make it up. <clears throat> um we uh, unfortunately got so much rain that it got under the rubber and we had weepers on the top end and we had obviously a, a bonding issue with the rubber uh, because of the, the amount of rain that was under it that, you know, the, the, the ground can absorb a lot of rain and, and there's a lot of good drainage there at Bristol, but that much rain, there was some just sitting there and it had to be dealt with. We, we ran some of the time run, but realized you know, we got to stop and, and do an eighth mile scrape. So uh, Jack and the gang there and Trey, uh, the guys at Bristol decided that's what was best. <clears throat> so uh, they stopped and did that. I think it was about maybe two o'clock or so in the afternoon before we were able to get back on the racetrack. Steve and I decided that we would um, just finish the time run as it was, because that was still going to take a little while and that we would uh, have uh, the gambler's race on Friday only because there was no chance we were gonna start the main event race and get it finished or anywhere near finished on Friday night. And that would have left a lot of cars to try to figure out 
um, how we mix those in the, the crowd on Saturday and Sunday. At this point, when these decisions were being made, Luke, it was, it was an incredible forecast. I mean, highs of like 77 Saturday and 81 Sunday, uh, sunny, beautiful weather, for, especially for this time of year. So we felt confident. We were running a gambler's race Friday night. And we decided to pay eight thousand without an increase in the entry fee. And, and the difference in your gamblers race and main events is that the gamblers race is you guys only allowed single entries and there's no buybacks. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no buybacks, no double entries of any kind. Uh, driver and or car can only go down the track once. Uh, so two buddies can't share a car or any of that. And, uh, it gave us a pretty good idea of what was on the grounds from a from a single entry standpoint because we ended up with 320 entries in the uh in the gamblers race so you know all, so, all foot breakers that's awesome yeah it's a, it's incredible when you think about it because that in itself would be a good race and if you you know if we were gutsy enough to ever try a, a single entry event um you know I, I wonder could it end up like that or maybe even better are there some that that won't come because you can't double or there's some that won't come because you can double those questions still remain but you know it was to me it was really impressive that the foot brake crowd showed up knowing 12 hours of rain is going to fall on bristol dragway at some point so we ended up getting that done all over midnight uh, it was a, a great event. It went very smooth on a Friday night. Uh, Steve Collier, uh, an all-star out of Ohio, uh, again, Ohio racers showing up big at the WFC. Uh, got, got the win over Derek Simon, <clears throat> you know, Derek's first final round at a WFC event. He's been quite a few. So that was a, a cool moment to, to get to share with those guys because they had battled through a lot at that point. And, um, we, we got off to a good start as far as the weekend goes. <clears throat> Excuse me, a frog in my throat. But Saturday, I can't uh, imagine why you'd be losing your voice two days removed from the World Football Challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, can't be related. It's uh, it was <laughs> wow. I mean, it, literally 17, 18 hours a day awake and and doing something for the race. So it was uh, it was obviously a lot of a lot of hours by us and our staff and the Bristol staff but but everyone did it with a smile on their face and worked hard and uh Saturday was a pretty cool day Luke um we we 551 entries showed up last year on Saturday which was a record for not only us but for a foot break race only ever and uh Saturday just got darn close to it we ended up with 547 entries on Saturday uh, we, we do have a buyback. Um, most people say we'll get rid of the buyback, but um, there's a lot of reasons that, that you have the buyback, but you know, mainly it's because we tell everybody there'll be a buyback and they want it. And we have proven that we can run that amount of entries and get it done within the schedule that we're allowed to do it in. <clears throat> so we were able to accomplish that. And in the end, when the dust settled, Adam Davis uh, finally knocked the door down at uh, at the WFC and got a, a $20,000 win for his first big win there on the mountain and got it over another uh, incredible foot brake racer in Ernie Humes. Uh, it, was a, it was a final that was over in a hurry as Ernie let it red, but Adam has recently sold his 67 Camaro that everybody knows him by, uh, lately anyway, and uh, he has purchased a, a former stocker gold 70 ss nova that is absolutely beautiful 
and does big wheelies and runs well. And Adam was Adam, Luke. He was the Adam that you traveled with back in the day, holding five and six numbers. And and when he got a, a clean shot at it, or somebody went red or a buy run, he would go 634 on the 640 just to show everybody that he could and he didn't care. And he, he ran Chris Plot dial 539. He stayed on a 640. He ran Kevin Pollard dial 539, stayed on a 640. He was the Adam we know and love, and it was very impressive. Much like how I say that class minimum Lester Johnson is my favorite Lester Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Blatantly holding an insane amount and literally pointing to the scoreboard when an opponent's red light comes on, like, watch this, guys. That's my favorite Adam Davis. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun Adam Davis to watch for sure. They're all fun, but this was uh, a lot of fun. And um, he ended up again with a $20,000 payday on the mountain, which was really cool. Now, are you trying to tell me this was Adam's first WFC win? It was. That's he, surprising. And he's been to all 15 of them. So, wow. Um, uh, this was first one. He's gotten very close. He actually got to five cars and was the guy that everybody was pointing to in the gamblers race on Friday night. Uh, but when he left the line with the tree advantage at five cars, something broke in the converter and he had to just pull over. And uh, by the time I got back down this pit, which was just a few minutes, it was already in the air and folks pulling stuff out to get it ready for Saturday and he put uh, Brad Plourd's spare BT torque converter in and <clears throat> just wrecked the field on Saturday. So uh, a lot of fun to watch Adam, and uh, it's a really cool car, and I uh, would expect that uh, we're going to see more out of him. And and I'll talk about Sunday now, but Adam did get uh, like 12 cars on Sunday as well before he wow. lost to the eventual winner. So uh, Adam was definitely the, the man that had everybody's attention uh, over the entire weekend. Sounds like he is the uh, the MVP if you awarded such a thing. Yes, no doubt. Uh, so, one side note, I think I'm right on my days before you get to Sunday. The One of Saturday's semifinalists was Matt Datus. Is that right? Um, uh, Matt was a semifinalist in the Friday the, In the Friday Gamblers race. I just thought that was interesting because, or noteworthy, interesting is probably not the right word, simply because I think there is a... a, a a group of racers, maybe the younger racers, that that associate Matt strictly with top bulb door cars, like because all he does is win fifty and hundred granders and top bulb door cars. But there was a time not that long ago when Matt Datus was probably better known as a bottom bulb racer. I think probably more with a button than swapping feet. But it was just cool to see Matt back in that element, and obviously didn't end up hoisting the trophy in the end, but to advance to the semifinals at World Footbreak Challenge. That's a pretty monumental achievement. Uh, I just thought it was refreshing in an age since we, we've talked about this, uh, how much specialty there is, right? And, and how much I personally value um, the versatility as, as a driver and how in this day and age, like I think there's plenty of successful racers that are very versatile, but there's just not much reason to show it off. Like if you're Matt Dennis and you can win 50 and hundred granders off the top, like why would you do anything else? Right. Good it's point. just cool <laughs> to see him go to an event of this magnitude. I mean, the most prestigious, I'll say it for you. Cause I know you won't say it like the most prestigious footbreak race on the calendar and to advance that deep. Like, I think it just, uh, kind of hammers home the fact that Matt is a very versatile driver capable of, of winning in a variety of classes and, and ways, right? 
Yeah, very good point. Uh, and, and, and to even um, make that, to show how much more impressive that is, he, Matt probably hasn't swapped feet, Luke, in months. Uh, and he came out against 320 entries with no buyback and not a lot of, I mean, basically a, a time run or two before the weekend got rolling and was rolling the, the, the danger ranger deep and doing his thing. So a very impressive driver, as you said, and a guy that shows a, a lot of versatility each and every time he gets the opportunity. So it was good to have Matt there. Obviously he, Gage Birch, Nick Hastings, those guys showed up uh, that, that were headed to the aforementioned SFG race in Michigan when it got canceled. You know, it was, uh, it was really uh, humbling to, to be their, their second choice. I know there were some great top bulb options uh, around. Um, might've been a few extra miles, but there were some great top bulb options around and they chose to, to come to Bristol. So I appreciated that very much. It was good to see him there and uh, it was good to see Matt perform well. And um, real quick, Luke, to wrap up Saturday, um, uh, you know, we're, our, we got the, the 100K slash 250K Labor Day race coming up in nine weeks. And uh, Steve and I are always looking for ways to, interesting ways to try to put entries into that event. So Steve come up with uh, Saturday afternoon. He said, Hey, do you think we could get 32 guys here to give $250 each and race two rounds and the eight winners that are remaining get an entry to the, to the 250 K they just win two rounds and it's over. And I thought, man, you know, it's pretty, really pretty cool. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool idea. He called it the 250 K two round challenge. And, um, I said, I think 32 people would do that. You know, I know a lot of people spend a lot of money, but I think 32 people will take that shot. So we, uh, we got a little break in the action shortly thereafter. And I grabbed the microphone. And I announced it where everybody could hear. And it was real clear. Uh, you can immediately see the people start coming to the tower, you know, going to the conference room where we were doing this. And it filled up in literally less than five minutes. Uh, so I told Steve, Hey man, this thing filled super fast. And, you know, we were taking five alternates because if you were still in the main event, when we started it, you were out of the shootout and, uh, Trey, the guy that runs the drag strip said, you know, really, as long as it's a number divisible by four, who cares how many people get in it? I mean, you get the four, $250, uh, pay, uh, entry fees and, that pays for an entry at a thousand. So sure. um, just take any number divisible by four, whatever you can get. So we opened it up and we ended up getting 56. And uh, those 56 battled it out and, and produced 14 entries, 14 paid entries into the, the Labor Day 250K. So it was a, an incredible idea and uh, really just shows how Steve, how his mind works. Uh, interesting uh, formats and and you know just something that intrigues people enough to want to do it and it was super popular and you know i i hope we get the opportunity to do stuff like that again but you know if, if people out there are looking for ways to to try to help uh, get interest into an event that they've got coming up and and create entries <laughs> there's your way to do it yeah steve come up with that it was really awesome very cool idea it's like you had a satellite race yeah yeah it's a satellite race um but you know again two rounds it didn't matter how many people you let in you still had to just beat two people and you were going to the 250k so 
Uh, it worked out great, and uh, that wrapped up Saturday's action. Sunday, as I mentioned, we had 15 grander scheduled, so there was 45 to pay on the top. Um, we decided to make that 20 on Saturday and 25K on Sunday with no change in the daily entry fee. Entry fee was the same for both. Um, buybacks remained at 100 for both. Uh, round money stayed the same as it was the 15K because your buybacks and your round money kind of match one another. So we decided guys budgeted for $100 buybacks. We wanted to keep them there. You have to keep the round money there to do that as well. And, and it was a popular decision. People really enjoyed and appreciated being able to buy back into a 20K or 25K for $100. So that worked out well. And they enjoyed their $100 ice cream sandwiches and fudge bars. That's always <laughs> very popular. And I always tell them the same thing every year when they say, well, this hundred dollar ice cream sure is good. And I say, well, you know, after second round, they go on sale. They're only 50 each. So, you know, come back and see us and help yourself to hands full of them. But it's a, it's always a good time to watch everybody joke about the ice cream. Um, our decision to make it a 25 K because you typically, typically get some fall off on Sunday. Um, we made it 25 K on Sunday in hopes that we could keep people around since we knew Monday was a, was going to be most likely a day off for them. Yeah. As I say, a little bit different dynamic with Monday being a, a holiday for most, right? Yeah. And we just wanted to give them a little extra reason to stick around and it worked. Uh, there was 519 entries on Sunday, which was a Sunday record for us. Um, we, again, we've had some big crowds in years past, but you typically see at least a 10% drop off on Sunday and sometimes more depending on what the weather looks like. But, uh, this was nowhere near that it, it stayed at 519, which was awesome to see. And, uh, as the day played out again, um, a lot of special moments have been created at the WFC, but this one was almost about as special as it gets. It was still cool to watch, but Dave Harvey jr got the win over Matt Sayers, Dave out of New Jersey, uh, basically a legend in footbrake racing, um, the gold Mopar that, that we've been watching him race for, seems like decades. Uh, he got to win over Matt Sayers, which is one of the, the finest men in the pits um, and, and one of the better drivers in the pits, no matter where he's at. Um, Harvey got the win over him in the final round of Matt lit at 002 red, but Dave and his son, Dave Harvey III, come together. They've been there the last couple of years together. And Dave Harvey III's a, a very talented racer in his own right. Uh, Dave Harvey Jr. also had his second entry in at six and uh, had to run his son, Dave Harvey III, in the quarters there. And uh, Dave Harvey III got by him. It was uh, Harvey Jr. was... 15 dead six for 21 total. Harvey third was seven and 12 thou above for 19 total. So really cool drag race between uh, father and son. And then the son goes to the semis where a wind light pairs him back with his father for 25 grand payday. And the final round, he lit at 001 red in the semis to Matt Sayers, uh, which thwarted that, that, uh, possibility from happening but um still very cool moment between those two as they were preparing to race and then father sitting in the water box watching son almost light it perfect to, to have the possibility to face him in the final but just overall luke incredible weekend 
we celebrated our 15th year with our wonderful sponsor, BTE. We had Brandon Barentine, the man that you know well, that, that runs BTE. Uh, he is head of all operations and activities there. And uh, we had him uh, on the grounds. Uh, they had the racer support van there with, uh, with his uh, nephew, Price, uh, there to help. And um, just wonderful moment, got to, got to share you know, a few minutes with Brandon and sit down with him and, and just the guy's a wonderful person, very, very giving, very supportive of the WFC and, and our mission. And uh, he basically said the same thing that he says every year, you know, uh, when I asked him, hey, uh, you know, this is what we got planned. Just want to make sure you guys are on board with this and, and we'd love to have you back. And he tells me every year, Jared, we got a lifetime contract. So, as long as you're doing what you're doing and I'm doing what I'm doing, uh, we're going to be together. And he, he talked about year 20 and 25 and 30 and all the things we'll do in those years. So, you know, it's a, it, it felt wonderful to have his support and, and not only, you know, what he says over the phone or through emails, but in person there on the ground, seeing what we've all built together. Uh, it was really cool. And, um, you know, we had eight rounds of round prizes, from awesome sponsors that were on board and just a lot of momentum for the WFC right now, Luke, you were there uh, on, on the very first one. And, you know, that was a great event, but to see what it's turned into 15 years later is, uh, is very humbling and uh, really remarkable uh, how it's all come about and, and changed over the years. And just super excited about what was, uh, what happened on the mountain this weekend, man. It was just really cool. It's, it's hard for me to believe, so I'd assume it's probably harder for you to believe that that was 15 years ago. Like, it seems like yesterday. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it does. It is hard to believe it was 15 years ago, you know, and, and it was 16 years ago when Steve and I sat at the Applebee's in Meridian, Mississippi, and he said, we ought to, we ought to put it on this race and, and told me what we ought to do. And I told him how crazy he was. And um, you know, here we are now, 16 years later, and, um, you, you know, coming off of the, what people are posting online and, and through Facebook and social media and how much fun they had and scheduling next year already. And to, to know what this event means to foot brake racers, not only that do attend, but that want to attend. We had a racer there from uh, Colorado, Luke. He drove 1,700 and 51 miles, I think. Uh, and our long distance award came from Washington State, Casey wow. Reed. Uh, Tim Jackson, I know you're going to listen to this. Uh, Tim come from Colorado, one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. And uh, he, he just came out and, and wanted to be a part of it because he listens to this show, Luke. He said, Luke, you know, I listen Hashtag to you. Hashtag <laughs> Very. And he said, I listen to you and Luke. And he said, man, I, I hear about this event. And he said, I just really wanted to come out and participate. Uh, hadn't raced in two years and he comes to to Bristol Tennessee from western Colorado and it's partly because of this podcast and uh, you know he talked about you know our, our our difference in styles basically how smart you are and how dumb I am and how it just seems to work for the show and I said you know I couldn't agree more it really is that that's a great uh, great uh, recognition on his part uh, but uh, then we had Casey Reed come from Washington State. Casey drove 2,781 mm -hmm. miles, I believe, uh, with a straight shift Mustang on his trailer, Luke. 
Yes, yes. And, I'm familiar with Casey. Yes, yes. And, and drove to Bristol and competed well. I mean, hit the tree well. Car threw him a curveball, as most do in Bristol from time to time, but uh, really drove good. And Casey won our Brodick's Long Distance Award, uh, the longest tow we've ever awarded. Uh, which it would be hard to beat that awesome. one. Yeah. yeah. Freaking awesome. It really was. And just you know, people from Texas and Florida and Massachusetts, and Michigan. Uh, it just, it was unbelievable. Luke. I don't, I need to look back and see how many states were represented, but you know, two little bumpkins that like to foot brake race come up with a race. And, and here it is 15, 16 years later, turn into this. It's, it's a true blessing and it's incredibly humbling. No, that's, that's awesome. And it is a, it is a testament to the vision that you and Steve had, and obviously to the work that you've put in and what you've built over the last 15 years. You mentioned that, that first world footbreak challenge, like I'll, I tell anybody to listen, Jed, like that race changed my life. Like for, from a financial standpoint at that time, like I, I'd run it up the 50 to Scotty, I run it up the 10, uh, the, the day prior to Chris Plot, And I, I know I've told this story numerous times, but uh, I had uh, basically inherited uh, a motorhome when my father had passed away and I didn't know anything about what I was into, right? And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it allowed me to get my start in racing. But essentially, uh, when the time came a few years later to sell said motorhome, uh, it was worth less than half what I owed on it. And I, I had to borrow $50,000 to sell the motorhome. And uh, I worked on paying that off for a couple of years, and it was that World Footbreak Challenge, that the winnings from that, that allowed me to get out from under that loan, and I feel like set the tone for the rest of my financial life. So it was a game changer for me, and I feel like what you've built has been a game changer, a life changer in many instances for racers ever since, whether that be financially or from a prestige standpoint, like you have built the most prestigious, the most notable, the 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 one you circle on the calendar event for footbreak racers from literally one coast to the other. So you've got a lot to be proud of my friend. Well, I appreciate that. I know Steve appreciates it as well. And we have worked hard, Luke. Um, you know, I won't try to bull crap anybody into thinking we haven't, we worked damn hard for many, many years, but without the, the sponsors that contribute and the racers talking good talk about it because you go where your buddies go you, you you know there's all these big pockets of guys from florida and you know pennsylvania and other states and they all get together and it's like this big social event so the racers and sponsors what they've done and, and certainly our host bristol dragway just always accommodating always trying to do everything they can to make the event great and and you know the the support around the the staff that we bring and, and certainly ourselves is just as important as anything as you know and uh just it's really again remarkable how um all of that all of those people and and companies have contributed to build what they've built and uh, it's great to be a part of man so i again i i could talk the rest of the show about it but but we need to we need to hush about foot brake race and we'll talk about it again in nine weeks when we have the labor day 250k <laughs> what uh now you you shocked me in saying that adam's big win was his first on the wfc stage you're not going to try to tell me that that was dave harvey jr's first wfc win was it it was his first main event win. Really? Uh, He'd Dave, won the gambler's races. Dave has won a gambler's race before, but this was Dave Harvey Jr.'s first main event win. So Wow. I don't know if it's more surprising 
that it was the first main event win in the 15-year history of the WFC for either of those two legendary footbreak racers. I don't know if that's more surprising or if it's more surprising that you just noted that both Gage Birch and Nick Hastings were at your event, which was a footbreak event, and didn't win. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, both of those guys made a lot of good runs. They're they're super impressive young men, very talented, and, and I don't need to get into all that because anybody that listens to the show more than about twice has heard us talk about both of those guys at length. They sung but, their praises once or twice. But yeah. uh, they, you know, they both just caught some bad breaks, you know, would go 001 red when their guy was less than stellar or, you know, they would come up a thou on the wrong end here, there. And, you know, they, they were really close to making a bunch of noise, but didn't make a bunch as a result of just, a, you know, a couple of things that didn't go their way for once. All right. So that is the event that happened last weekend on a major stage. The event that didn't, the SFG 500 uh, at uh, Martin, Michigan. And there's a source of a little bit of like, um, controversy is probably not the right word uh, they pulled the plug on this relatively early now in Kyle Riley's defense um, that area got a ton of rain uh, the week prior and the forecast did not look good uh, at all going forward and uh, a, for a race of that magnitude I mean the SFG event was slated to start Monday uh, Martin was hosting, I believe it was two 10 granders the weekend prior. So just for, in terms of travel, because people are traveling much like the WFC to that event from all over, um, the decision has to be made pretty early and it looked awful. Now in retrospect, could they have gotten some of it in? Yeah. Would the pits have been great? I don't know. Um, I, just thoughts in general on the, the, what was kind of deemed as a, as a maybe early cancellation from a promoter standpoint. Well, uh, Luke, I'll, I'll probably get worn out for this, but reality is when you put on an event, that has got pre-entries and your pre-entries are through the roof. You're going to find a way. I mean, you just are, um, you're going to at least give it everything you got and attempt it. Uh, I, fortunately, I, I haven't been a part of one that the pre-entries were just a dismal sign as to what was going to happen when the gates open. So I don't know how you react to that, but I would think that would help you make a decision to cancel. So uh, I don't, I'm certainly not insinuating that's what happened to Kyle uh, because, you know, he, he's, He's gone through with some races that he had to know leading up to was not going to be stellar. But for sure, I don't know that he's done that with half a million dollars on the line just on his biggest day alone. So that that type of purse uh, is life changing, and that type of purse can change your life when you got to pay it too. So um, not real sure what what all caused it. He did have very good reasoning based on what the weather had done and what the weather was forecasted to do uh, to, to call it off. But again, if there were, you know, if there were 600 people pre-entered in the event, I can't help but think we're guys, we're just going, you know, we're going to get there. We might cancel the first day and figure it out, but we're going to give it a shot. So, I, you know, that's just me again. I'll probably get torn up for that one, but uh, that's just me trying to be as honest as I can. So uh, you know, I don't, 
I don't think the event looked great going in just in, you know, if I'm guessing and that helped him because the weather certainly didn't. And he had every, he had every reason to use that as the reason to, to cancel it. Um, but you know, if, if I had enough pre-entries Luke and I was going to say, well, the weather don't look good this week, but we're looking for a new date. I wouldn't have said, we'll just try it again next year. You know, if, if I got a ton of pre-entries, I'm going to say, guys, hey, hang with me. We might get this thing done in four weeks or six weeks. We're going to find a hole in the schedule and make it work, and we're going to pay somebody half a million dollars. But if it don't look good, I'm going to say, you know what, guys? Weather's bad. Just don't seem like it's going to work. Let's try again next year. I think it's fair to connect those dots, and I'll be completely transparent. If I was in Kyle Riley's shoes and I was coming off of the event at Bradenton that we talked about before had to had to be a, a negative, you know, pretty significant negative. Um, I don't think that there are many promotion business models that could a withstand that much less two events like that back to back. Right. So if yep. there is uh, any concern. Right. And, and and I don't know. We have no idea what the pre-entry numbers look like, but particularly if you're dependent on gate entries to make it work and the forecast looks that bad. I don't know that I fault him for pulling the plug either. Like it, it's a difficult look and it's a, you can't win uh, either which way that you go. But no, I, I mean, the way that you kind of laid that out, it, it, it lines up that, uh, you know, perhaps the uh, the the interest or the the support wasn't as strong as it's been in the past the the on the opposite side of that i will say and and again this is a little bit convoluted but we saw the events that did happen last weekend uh, obviously you got a little bit of overflow at at wfc um and my impression was uh, like there was a race at uh, at stanton at mid michigan that was like overflowing they had like 400 entries and i believe uh Muncie had a bunch of cars and i think some of the overflow came to uh to disco dean's race at uh, Kilcare. like my impression was that all of those races were up because there was a significant number of racers that had time off that had plans that were you know we're going racing the week presumably at martin michigan for the sfg 500 we've already made this commitment like let's go race somewhere and it just seemed like there was a lot of cars um and racers attending these various events that at least in theory were all set to converge on martin michigan so again you're you're working with incomplete information like i don't know if that race would have been a success or a failure Uh, what we do know at this point is that to this point on the calendar the two races that i think were biggest circled in red at least in terms of payout where this event i mean it was originally slated to to be the sfg million right and then and then got uh, condensed into the the 500,000 before ultimately being canceled and the great american guaranteed million at memphis neither of which have happened now the great american great american million got postponed and relocated it was set to take place in montgomery late in the season this sfg event has been canceled my question for you jed is is that just two random acts that are not related or is this a sign that the market for that mega event that perhaps we had the perfect storm in 2020 and that market just is not there going forward oh luke um 
again, probably area that I, I, I wish I didn't have to discuss, but uh, you know, there's no, there's no subject off limits here on the sportsman. I, I am teeing you up for the aggregators today. <laughs> um, I would have to say, you know, while uh, Britt and Galen obviously had to, to change their deal, I had some behind the scenes discussions with them about um, Memphis and the fact that uh, it, it just didn't, they didn't have a clear plan at the time about how they were going to proceed with the, with the drag racing season. And, you know, it was just too close for Britt and Galen to, to chance it. So they had to make some changes, but again, I would have to say that, um, that, that probably the, the participation level did not match what it looked like in 2020. Um, so and that's, that's no one's told me that. That's just a guess. But do I think it was poor? I really don't have any idea. Um, but I would think it, it helps your decision when the participation level does not match what data you have from the previous year. And I would say that's probably the case in both of those events. While the reasoning that they, they had changes of schedule were quite different, um, I still think behind that reason, that, that published reason probably didn't quite have the, the same participation that they, they saw in 2020. And that helps you get the, you know, an idea of how you're pacing towards success. And, um, you know, again, not saying I'd be any different, you know, if, uh, if the Labor Day 250K gets 23 pre-entries and, um, you know, we get a, we get a bad, forecast and you know i don't sure. know that we wouldn't do the same thing it's a it's hundred thousand dollars guaranteed and you know you need some support to take care of that fortunately we're well beyond that number and uh, i think we're gonna be just fine but I, just, I don't know how i'd react so i'm not tearing anyone down or, right. or or really you know trying to to make an example out of them but i certainly uh certainly think that there was some of that as part of their their justification whether it's published or not just speaking to the the broad picture i mean we had this ridiculous chain of events in 2020 where we had two guaranteed million that paid out full purses and we had two other events that you know quote unquote millions that paid what 500,000 or no i'm sorry uh, it was bristol and montgomery nonetheless had four events in within a what 3 to 4 month span that paid well into six figures two of which paid literally seven figures and i think we all speculated at that time that we would we may never see that again in our lifetime right that that type of person and and i don't think anyone necessarily thought that that was sustainable do you think that our market would support two of those races a year will our market support one of those races a year you know if it's say a guaranteed million like where where does that line fall moving forward Again, I wishing I had the answer to that, um, but you know, right now it looks like it won't support any. Uh, but hopefully, you know, because you got you're talking about guaranteed money versus the OG. I mean, you got the OG and and the guaranteed million within reason on the calendar. I mean, with, with within striking distance of one another on the calendar. So um, while while I'm not sure it could support the, our market can support two of those high stake guaranteed races. Uh, you know, question is, 
with the entry fee being the same for the OG, basically as it is for for these others, you know, can it can it support both of those as well? One being guaranteed million, one being I don't really remember the format of the, the OG, but I think maybe guaranteed quarter million anyway. And um, you know, I think Peter and Kyle's million was slightly down. Um, yeah, is that does that scare you, Luke? If you got one of these hanging out there now that the, the the half million was changed from a million to a half million, it still got canceled, and the GABR has been moved several months down the road. I mean, I I don't know how I'd feel right now if I were the guy putting on one of these. I'll be completely honest, Jed. If I was the promoter, I would be scared to death the second that the ink dried on the flyer. Like, I don't care what year it was. Like, I'm not that guy that's going to post a guaranteed purse of even what you guys do. Like, it's it, that's a lot of money, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm risk averse in that sense. So I'm not the guy to ask how I would feel about that. I'd feel nervous as hell. I, I, if you told me I had 500 guaranteed entries, I don't think I'd feel good about it. Um, but to that point, I, I will say this. I'll take the tech and say I'm actually... I, I don't know, obviously. No one knows how this is going to unfold. I'm optimistic about the two season-ending races, specifically the, the Great American Guaranteed Million. I just, I feel like the OG Million is still the OG Million. Like, I, I just, I think it's got a level of prestige. I think it's got a, a, a following that even after the the events of last year and just kind of how massive a mess that turned out. Like, I, I think everybody's willing to wipe the slate clean. Like, I think that race will do fine. It's always done fine. Um, and I am bullish on Britain Galen's guaranteed million for a couple of reasons. Um, a, the, the recent events and the, the cancellation of the SFG race, that can't hurt them, right? There, there, are, there is a segment of racers that thrive on the opportunity to race for that type of money and in that type of atmosphere and honestly i think that the move to montgomery and the time of year that it is is has the potential to be really beneficial now it could be cold like it it could not work we could have to cancel or postpone the event but when you push things into november there are very few racing options and i think uh, even the stretch of races in uh, in florida in december and january proved that there are at least in 2020 and again that was a that was a unique situation um but there is significant demand to go racing and when there's significant demand to, to significant demand to go racing and very few options and the opportunity to race for unprecedented money far enough south that the weather should cooperate that time of year like i just feel like it could be the perfect storm to be a really successful guaranteed million again a lot's going to hinge on the forecast and that time of year it's it's uh it, your guess is as good as mine but i'm bullish on thinking that if if our market will support this period and i and i still think it will at least once a year that that time and that location is probably optimal Yep. So I would totally agree with that, Luke. Um, I think, you know, this is going to be one of those that probably doesn't line up quite as early or quite as well for, for Britain Galen as it did last year. You know, the, the whole sold out thing happening well before the event. I feel like this one might give racers uh, a little different 
feeling and they you know they they probably won't feel as pressured to hurry up and get their entry in since it's in november and it's probably going to be one of those that drags out and entries trickle for a little while until it gets to that you know you know that, that 75 85 entries left number and everybody just goes nuts and hurries up and gets theirs and next thing you know uh, you know looking for two entries to the to great american bracket race million uh, guaranteed million anybody got any for sale and you know, you're going to see all that activity on Facebook probably sometime four to six weeks prior to the event. So I do feel like their move uh, is a positive one and it's going to work out well for them. Um, you know, they, they're going to have had events throughout the year and one we'll talk about here in just a little bit where they, they show that they make great decisions and do the right thing and do everything they can for the racers. So I think it's going to work out well for them. Um, you know, it being close to the OG million, uh, I still think it's going to be okay because there's a pre-entry and OGs, uh, you know, going to be a, at a new venue and there's going to be a lot of excitement around that one uh, leading up to the, the guaranteed. So I think both of those do well, but I, that still doesn't would not uh, eliminate my nervousness. No, uh, whether, no. If I'm promoting either one of those, because I, you know. I ain't gonna lie. I'm nervous right now. I got nine weeks and guaranteeing a hundred thousand dollars in foot break, and uh, that's a lot of damn money. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. You've won that much before at one time, so you you know how much it is. A lot of damn money. They don't think that's not going in the shouts. Um, I'm I'm curious to take two, and I don't I don't want to continue to 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 harp on this discussion, but I find it fascinating. It feels like, and, I, and keep in mind, if, if I was the promoter, um, th there's a lot of argument for the pre-entry structure. I feel like to some extent, like the, uh, the scarcity aspect of it isn't what it was a couple years ago, specifically at these high stakes, high entry races. Like it, it doesn't, I don't get the feel, and maybe just because we've seen it run its course, there's not that feeling of like, oh, if I don't enter now, like I'm not going to have a spot. Like that was a real concern uh, as as much as late last year, and I don't necessarily feel that around these races. Would you agree? Yeah, very good point. Um, you know, it's uh, last year you had four million dollar races, and if you know if you felt like you wanted to go to one but you had to miss it, well, you know, I got this one I can go to, and so there was the the demand or the supply was was meeting the demand last year this year the supply is less but for seeming for whatever reason it seemed like the demand is less as well and and nobody's concerned that they're not going to get in but I, that's coming it's just not going to come as early as it did last year because it, it's going to fill up the the, the guaranteed is going to fill up and, and people are going to be looking for those in online and trying to figure out how they can go you know everything's got a trickle down effect luca you know supply chain is bad right now pretty much any manufacturing process well, that's got a, that's making an impact most most a lot of these super pro guys are business owners you know they they own their own operation and they they call the shots and when things are going really well and you're busy and you've got product to deliver you you know, you, the boss man might slip out here for four days to a week and go enjoy himself while all the crew members talk bad about him. Well, while business is good right now, there's not enough product 
to make your deliveries. So all it has done is extend your on hand cash and, you know, your, your uh, payables are slow to come in and everything is trickling down and it's, you know, the trickle up effect is not good. So everybody's business is great. They're as busy. They got as much work as they've ever had and, and tons of things to do. But, you know, the guy hanging doors for a living can't get doors. And the guy installing glass for a living can't get glass or he can't get it cut because the guy is missing a, you know, a sprocket for his glass cutter. So, you know, th that trickle down effect in the supply chain is, is bad right now. And it's creating delays in people's business. And it's probably got some guys apprehensive about putting the money up out front. Uh, for that their business is bringing in so I think everything's going to be fine I think by the time the fall rolls around we'll have recovered uh, very well in the supply chain and things will be able to be delivered but I think all that impacts what we're doing too it's just hard to see it and quantify it but it, it's got an impact yeah no I I think you put that really well because I think in the long run um I don't think interest has, has waned. I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a significant difference in the number of cars that roll through the gate at an event like the OG Million or like the, the Great American Guaranteed Million. Uh, I just think the timeline of it is different I, for, for a variety of reasons. I just don't think that racers are as um, willing, may not be the right word, as eager to make that investment You know, three, six plus months in advance. Right. I think everything probably ends up in about the same place. The timeline just gets much more condensed. Yeah. And in my business, and I'm trying not to gas back here, but in my business, uh, you know, I'm an equipment rental business for Caterpillar dealer. And, and when we are, we're asking our manufacturers for inventory for equipment, you know, we need to buy some equipment, we need to buy six of these and eight of these and 10 of these overwhelming. You're hearing late summer, early fall. Well, I think that's the same with all the business owners that feel the, the pits and uh, at a top, uh, a premier top bulb race. And, you know, they might be, it might be in the point where in the late summer and early fall, their business has so much backup and so much that they have to get done that those guys just right now are, are a little reluctant to, to commit to anything because, you know, they're feeling like that's when, because they're all being told, hey, your doors are, you know, uh, 12 weeks out. Well, 12 weeks when you figure that up, okay, oh, crap, this, this, here it is, late summer, early fall, and, you know, your your garage door, sir, they're 12 weeks out, this glass is 12 weeks out, whatever. They're all hearing that same thing. Everything seemingly has a recovery date of late summer or early to mid-fall, and that's when these races are going to be hot. So it, it'll be interesting to see how people's business and what they have on their plate at the time impacts uh, attendance. All right. We'll go back in time. We, we, we talked about the major events of July 4th weekend, two events the week prior, because uh, we didn't record a new show last week, two events the week prior that had no issue in terms of demand. Uh, the Byron uh, Dragway Firecracker Nationals annual event uh, highlighted by what was supposed to be a $100,000 win race, a little bit more on that later, that got condensed into one mega uh, purse event, as well as the uh, Holly Springs Dream Team event. I saw the 
they need to come up with a better name for this race. It was uh, the the red, white, and blue twenty Ks and five Ks. It's too long. The red, white, and blue twenties, perfect. All right. Both of those events massively. Uh, Holly Springs was packed to the gills, from what I understand. Uh, Byron, that's a pre-entry event, sold out months in advance. Actually, had two entries to that. Had no trouble selling them uh, the week prior to the event when we couldn't attend. Uh, one of my favorite races of some before we weren't able to make it this year. Um, but I mentioned earlier they fought some serious weather challenges at Byron. That race was slated to be thirty thousand dollars to win Friday, one hundred thousand dollars to win Saturday. $30,000 to win on Sunday. Um, with the with the weather challenges presented, they ended up combining all three days into one. And quick math tells you that paid $160,000 to the winner. Mm. One of the biggest purses of the season. Um, and that was won by none other than young T.C. Williams, big gen. I don't know if you're familiar with T.C., second-generation racer, obviously coming into his own local racer to Byron. He's from the great town of Winnebago, Illinois. That deserves a shout-out. Yes. T.C. Williams, this cap, this is obviously a, a monumental win, a, a life-changing win, a, uh, a trophy that goes on the pedestal for any of us, right? But it just highlighted and extended this incredible run for this young racer from Winnebago, Illinois, that started, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, TC won a $5,000 event at Byron Dragway. A couple of weeks later, wins a 10 grander as part of a three-day uh, $10,000 to win event at Byron Dragway, and then caps that with the granddaddy of them all, the $160,000 main event victory, all at Byron, all without leaving home, like, uh, that is a pretty impressive six-week stretch, to say the least. His $160,000 victory over the no-box uh, competitor, Jeff Billiter. So congrats to TC Williams. And I'll just say, like, we talked about the racetracks that have bred the, the most talent over the years a few episodes back. And one that we didn't mention was Byron Dragway. And I think, like, if you eliminate the Folk family, like, I don't know that there's a ton of big names necessarily from Byron, but if you just had the Folks alone, like, it's pretty impressive. I can attest it's a difficult place to race, like, a very, very tough crowd. And for the years that I have lived here in Illinois, and Byron's not our home track by any means, it's probably five hours away, um, but it's been very rare. I don't, in fact, I don't have any memory of seeing someone like dominate Byron, right? It, they have basically for as long as I can remember, any time that they swing open the gates, it's a quote unquote big money race. Like their regular event, their regular bracket race is 2,500 to win one day, five grand to win the next day with several fives and tens sprinkled in throughout the year. And it's very rare that you see someone win multiple times in a season, much less someone to do something like T.C. Williams did and string together three main event wins in basically three events in just over a month and cap that by a $160,000 payday. Uh, and I, I don't know T.C.'s age, but like I don't think he's 20. Uh, pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive, Luke. I, I do not know T.C. Williams or his story, but uh, just hearing what little bit you've told me here on the show, uh, pretty uh sound like a pretty talented young man and one with a very bright future and if he doesn't ever do another thing he's done a, a nearly impossible feat by getting this $160,000 win and following up some fives and tens so great job TC uh, great to see the bottom bulber Jeff Billiter 
making the final round. I don't know Jeff either, but uh, I, I do agree with you uh, from what I know about Byron and the racers that uh, that participate there on a regular basis. That is a tough, tough crowd. I know Brett Williamson goes there with some regularity, and we know how great Brett is. So um, I think um, winning there, while every, winning everywhere is difficult, winning there probably is as hard or harder than uh, especially most places in the Midwest. And sound like TC is, uh, is on a hot streak. So great job, young man. Yeah. Tough place to win in general. And that's that the firecracker nationals is one of those events that the traveling racers converge on. You know what I mean? I know Hunter Patton was there. I know the Williams were there, like all the usual suspects. So I think it's probably even more special, forget the money, but to roll through a field that talented at that young an age. And especially like you come into that as the, the local hero, right? You're fresh off a, two big wins at this home track and there's this sentiment that like ah oh, the the traveling pros are going to put this kid in his place and that did not happen that did not happen doesn't sound like it. <laughs> all right take us to holly springs jed uh, busting at the seams holly springs for uh, for the red white and blue i just the red white and blue 20s that's what i want to call it sorry to the no box guys yeah, uh, honestly, all I know that happened there was that uh, Heath Davis uh, got a big win, got a $20,000 win, uh, and I just know that because uh, Heath is a friend of mine on Facebook, and, of course, he's from Alabama, and Alabama racers win 20-granders uh, pretty regular, apparently. If your last <laughs> what name, they do. Yeah, apparently, if your last name's Davis, you win 20-granders regular, whether it's top or bottom. But, I, honestly, I, I, I was uh, just swamped with WFC stuff, so I, I – wasn't able to keep up with many results at all. Like. All right, so main event winners, uh, twenty grand, $20,000 winners off the top were, as you mentioned, Heath Davis. I believe Heath had two entries in late in that race. I want to say he was doubled at six cars. Um, and then Bryson Scruggs won the second 20 grander of the weekend. In addition, hmm. uh, five granders each day. Bryson Scruggs, by the way, the final round defeat of Johnny Ezell, he might have heard of him. He does, he does pretty well. Um, bottom bulbers race for five grand a day. Just scrolling through here. Day one winner was Larry Seguin over Chad Sandlin. And on the second and final five grander, it was Wesley Lockhart getting the win over Daniel Riddle. Riddle also won earlier in the weekend. Uh, I believe it was the opening gamblers race. So big weekend for another Alabama runner. runner. You, your Alabama guys might be pretty good. Yeah, those guys race really good in Alabama. I don't know if you've heard. I've heard. I've heard. Uh, all right, so let's let's switch gears to a little bit of NHRA before we get out of here. Back-to-back uh, -back races at Norwalk. Um, I'll start with the Division Series event, which is actually the, the latter of the two, just because it happened more recently. It was this past weekend. So it was actually, this is kind of crazy to say, July 4th weekend. It was the Division Three opener of the season. Uh, the only event scheduled prior to Norwalk was a divisional that was scheduled for... Um, the racetrack formerly known as Gateway in April, I believe. And that race got snowed out. Yes, I did stutter. Snowed out wow. um, and pushed back to later in the year. So this was actually the first race for the Division Three racers. And some pretty notable results. I think we'll start off in Top Dragster. Um, Bono's Top Dragster. Looks like it. Bo Butner drives his quote-unquote 
bracket car to the top dragster victory. They didn't have a full field. Bo rolls in there going slow by top dragster terms, but it's a freaking 440 bracket car. I think he's out seven O's at Norwalk and just absolutely obliterated the field. Was really impressive both ends of the track. I believe it was the first time that Bo entered uh, the top dragster category, at least at the divisional level, and uh, takes home his first top dragster, Wally. Friend of the podcast, guy that we've talked a lot about here, Pete Dagnolo, winner in competition eliminator uh, for the second time this season at the divisional level. Put together a really impressive performance. They had some car issues, didn't qualify well, and uh, and I, I think conditions were such that it was difficult for most of the comp cars to go as fast as normal, but Dagnolo wades his way through the field, capped in the final round by a... What looks great on paper is 005 take four to get the win over um, David Billingsley. I think he was wide open, but nonetheless, he was 005, get there fourth out. Uh, can't do much better than that, competition eliminator. The win moves Pete Diagnolo to second place in the national points behind only Greg Camplain. Again, it's early, but with those two guys putting up a really impressive score at this point in the season. Yeah, great performance again by Pete D. Just you know, it doesn't matter what he's doing, Luke. He just seems to perform very, very well. And uh, while Greg Campaign got off to a great start, um, you know, I, I would keep my head looking backwards. I, I would keep my eye on Dagnolo because if he gets a little steam, he can certainly make this thing very interesting very quickly. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, really impressive score on the divisional level thus far for PD. Uh, Kent Hanley got the win in Superstock. Was his second Superstock win in the last month or two? He won the national event at Atlanta. In fact, the last three events now that Kent Hanley has entered in his Superstock Cavalier had that win at the national event in Atlanta. He advanced to the semifinals at the national event in Norwalk a week prior, then wins the divisional event this weekend. I'm not quite ready if we're going to do championship tiers. You want to have a little tier talk? Uh, the top tier in Superstock is Anthony Bertozzi and Greg Stanfield. We've talked about them before. Hanley certainly moving up that ladder and uh, is going to be a threat to challenge either one of those guys. And who knows who else at this point, right? Um, uh, so early in the season for so many racers at different parts of the country. But Hanley, really impressive. Uh, that I, What I told you there in general, Jed, like the back-to-back -back wins essentially with the semi in between. More impressive, perhaps? How about his box score? You know I'm a fan of the box score. Yes. Ken Hanley, from round three on, uh, his worst slide's 12. That was in the final, right? No, I'm sorry. His worst slide was 12. He's 006 in the final. 12 in the semis. Uh, got the bye run in the quarters. The two rounds prior to that, he was perfect. I didn't say the round prior to that, Big Jed. <laughs> the two rounds prior to that, Ken Hanley, trip zip perfect uh, to defeat Larry Hodge in round three. Trip zip perfect to win again in round four with a fourth out total package. And then he really backed off. He comes up for the semifinals against Bob Letelier and lights it up 12. So really backed off off the bottom. And then 006 in the final to defeat Joe Santangelo. Pretty impressive performance from one Kent Hanley. Yeah, Kent's on fire. Had obviously having a great run here recently and, and performing very well. It doesn't look like there's a lot of luck in his win lights. Um, getting by arguably one of the hardest guys to beat out there and one that had a very impressive box score in his own right, Luke, uh, Joe Santangelo. Yeah. Joe apparently had a missed spot that landed 30 and 31, but when he let go like he liked, he was 2-7, uh, 15, 13, and 12. So uh, a, a guy that you know is going to perform like that and, and Kent knew, and then to go up there and perform like Kent did, 
and and light it up double oh six and take a wind light um you know it's very very impressive without question super comp winners man by the name of john davis it was his first super comp win ever um talk to him a little bit after the race really really impressive performance in a uh a slower super comp car like not if you're picking out the the weapon of choice like most people wouldn't pick john davis's car it's an older dragster uh not 100 percent certain it certainly may even be a hardtail car uh, like a mid 160 mile per hour player like you're just your typical bracket car i think he had 514 on the dial board and i think that might be accurate like i don't know he might go 490s like somewhere in that range um and not only did he roll through a star-studded field, uh, lying in his wake at the end of the day, how about Rusty Cook, Jackson Panic, Steve Eckerd, John LaBoose Jr., and then Tyler Bohannon in the final. That's impressive enough, but the manner in which he went about it, uh, John Davis, after lighting it up 27 on the tree in round one, was no worse than 007 the rest of the way in Super Comp. Like, you can't bump down in Super Comp. That's impressive. And combine those with um, pretty nasty ETs as well, like, I'm just looking at this. I know when he ran Jack Sapanic in round three, uh, Davis was perfect in 91.5, and Sapanic was like five take 12 or something to, to lose. Uh, against John LaBoose in the semifinals, uh, John Davis was 002, 91.2, so that's 14 total after being 15 total for Sapanic. And that, that wasn't enough, right? To beat Tyler Bohannon in the final, John Davis lays down 004, 90 with a five. So pretty nasty runs throughout the day, specifically late for one John Davis in his first NHRA divisional win. Stock winner, I got to give a shout out here, John Necheporchik. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, John. John uh, approached me after the final. Again, I was at Norwalk. Loyal listener, hashtag loyal listener to the podcast, so we could not go without shouting out John on his first Stock Eliminator victory as well. Yes, congratulations, uh, John Davis and John Necheporchik. I was I was really scared to try that, Luke, but I think I just crushed it. I think you nailed uh, it. Congrats always to great John. To, <laughs> always great to run into a loyal listener. Uh, like I mentioned, Tim Jackson, uh, I saw at the WFC, and um, when the, the hashtag loyal listener gets to hold the, the trophy or the Wally at the end of the day, it's even more gooder, Luke. So I, uh, I'm very proud of you, John. Thank you for listening, and congrats on a great performance. Luke, even, let, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, even more good. Even yes, more even more good. I'm hearing more gooder. I get people telling me things are more gooder now uh, a lot. So it tells me people's listening. Now, nobody lets us know they're listening. We ain't got a clue that we got more than about three or four listeners. But I know just by people saying more gooder, they're listening to this show. Y'all can't fool me. I know you're <laughs> listening, guys. Thank you. Luke, let's talk about super gas let's talk about super gas Jeff. there's a there's a guy that that has won a couple of world championships and a, and a million and every other thing you can win and he just kind of really laid back these days just you know not doesn't seem to have a, a public mission on his mind he just seems to go where he wants when he wants and when he can because he's got kids and life and all kind of stuff going on but this dude is performing very well and he is on a torrid pace towards the national championship and that is one luke bogacki luke uh, congrats on another great performance uh with the win over the weekend and bud you're you know i know we don't talk championship in july but you're uh you're in great shape right now 
I got to admit, I'm in very good shape. No, it's been an incredible run. Um, just to this point, I've been to six NHRA races. Uh, I've been in five final rounds in Supergas. Three wins, two runner-ups. Uh, I will say that this past weekend's win at Norwalk was probably, maybe not the first time, but definitely the win that I felt best about. Um, the way that my entire season has gone, like I've, it's a right place, right time kind of thing. And I do feel like this was the case in Norwalk too. Uh, I continually run great racers that are making that are having good days that have their worst run of the weekend beside me right and i can't take credit for that it happened repeatedly at norwalk but we'll say i was proud of myself at norwalk i felt like uh, i drove really well my car was great uh, i felt like i deserved to win probably more so than than any other time in the year um but i'll also say like <laughs> it's just funny like we've all been on the opposite side of it where you can't do anything right right and no matter how hard you try you just cannot get yourself into the right spot it's rare it's fleeting but it's really nice when it goes the opposite way because i i'm a firm believer that the momentum works the same in in opposite and that's the way that my season's been case in point um second round at norwalk i run jacob elrod and it was uh you know obviously jacob former world champion really tough opponent um, and we square off. It was the first round of Sunday, so it's a blind round. And I'm pretty confident in my weather and my setup and, like, uh, whatever. I put number in it. I thought I could go 988, maybe 987. And so I've got a game plan in mind for the round. And I, uh, if I hit the tree, hopefully I'm a little bit ahead. Jacob's going to drop. Like, I've got to anticipate that. Well, the race plays out, and I hit the tree. I'm, I'm 008. But when we kick off the stop, like, I'm just daylighting him. I'm like, oh, man, to the point that I'm like, well, obviously he's missed it slow, right? Like, I have way too much room. So I'm just back in, back in, back in, and I'm like, well, he's probably going to drop, but who cares at this point? Like, I'm going 95, right? And he drops, and I get there a little bit more than I wanted to, and, like, obviously I won, right? I get the ticket, yeah. Instead of going 87, 88, I'm going, like, 83, and I ring it up 90 with a zero. Like that could have oh. easily been eighty nine nine, right? It, it wasn't. I got there plenty. I think I took nineteen a stripe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, all of those breaks, all of those thousands, seemingly all year, have just fallen my way. And that was yet another example of it. And then on the flip side, uh, like Nathan Bruman makes a run in the final round that beats me nine times out of ten. He's sixteen and ninety, right, on the drop. And it just so happens that that coincides with a run that I make a really good lap. I'm eight takes seven to be 91-0, right? And all of that, it's a right place, right time kind of thing. But all of that has fallen my way seemingly all season. I've had a couple of runs in Division Four with Coy Collier that were awesome races that both decided by a thousandth of a second or two, and my win like comes on. And that's just the way that it's been to this point all year. And I, that's all going to turn at some point, and that momentum will go the other way. But uh, as anyone would tell you, I'm going to ride that as long as I can. Uh, and to your point, Jed, uh, national championship, like normally I would say it's way too early to discuss this, but as a podcast host, if someone else had put up the score that I've put up to this point, I would say that they're the prohibitive favorite. Here's the, the, the basic like nut and bolt of it, as I've discussed before, and you can nerd out with me a little bit points-wise. Like, when I start each season, 650 is the goal, right? Six, if you put up 650 points, that's essentially averaging almost a runner-up, right? Like, that's really, really solid. And that's going to win the championship nine times out of ten. So my goal is, let's put up 650. And at this point, um, 
650 is very, very realistic. Like essentially what I, what would have to happen the rest of the way is I have eight events remaining at which I can earn points. If I can advance to the fourth round three times out of those eight events, I would get to 650. So like that seems doable. In fact, I would say that if I can't manage that the rest of the way, like I don't deserve to win the championship. Um, and then, so you look at the the next tier up, well, the, the highest score to ever finish second is Jody Lang's 699 to finish second to Joe Santangelo in, in 2011 in Stock Eliminator. And so if you get 700, like that all but guarantees a championship. And at this point, 700 is in play. So that's the new goal. Like I want to get to 700 and if and when I get there, Jed, then you can say like, hey, you should win the world championship. Until then, we'll kind of keep quiet about it. But I like what I've done so far without question. Yeah, as you should. Um, obviously, again, if you, you said remove your name and put any name in with the, the results you've accomplished so far. It'd be a story here on the podcast. So you deserve to have uh, your story told just as much. And, you know, while you I appreciate your humility, I really do. Um, but while you call it, yeah, I just got the breaks, got the luck. Uh, you create some of that luck by leaving on time and, and giving yourself a little room to make the quote unquote mistake. And when you're leaving on time, uh, you're doing your job and that allows you to maybe get there uh, 21 instead of nine and get by with a going dead on zero. So again, I appreciate humility, but you know, that act is, uh, that acts tired, Luke. Um, you, you, you've performed really well. Your Charlie Stewart race car Corvette has performed very well. It's fast, it's beautiful. You're driving it well it's a story made for a podcast and uh, and we're going to tell it it's like having a face for radio right just like it <laughs> <laughs> no i appreciate it. and you did hit on a good point my car is incredible i uh well i've had that thing less than a year and it is uh it is well the vega is always going to be my favorite car it's it's beginning to be a close second it's fun to drive it's fast it's really good so it's yeah. your favorite corvette it's my favorite corvette yes absolutely yes. <laughs> so uh, a couple other winners from Norwalk Points meet um, Ben Height gets the win in Super Street his first Wally Steve Yeager winner in Top Sportsman his first Lucas Oil Series event win as well as I mentioned in the open the um, divisional event this past weekend was actually the uh, the back end of a basically week long for several racers at Norwalk as the national event uh, at the same facility was the week prior. And again, we didn't record last week, so I just wanted to circle back to that briefly. The big story from the Norwalk national event, uh, this is a recurring theme, but it's a big story nonetheless, Big Jed. Bertozzi domination. Yeah, I mean, what else is new? Team Bertozzi basically runs the table. Anthony gets the win in Superstock over Ricky Decker. Also, Anthony, runner-up in Top Dragster to uh, former world champion Al Kenny. So that obviously strengthens Anthony's uh, chances in both categories. Like, he is a very legitimate threat uh, to win the championship in not only Top Dragster, which we talked about most of the year, but now Superstock as well. Like, that is setting up to be a dogfight between Bertozzi and Greg Stanfield. And again, it's early. There could be others in the mix, but those two have put up massive scores thus far. In top dragster, where Anthony is the reigning champion, he is beginning to distance himself from the field. He's going to make this really rough on anyone in top dragster. As if Anthony's two final round appearances and one Wally was not enough, um, he made up for one third of the national event wins for Team Bertozzi on the weekend. 
Team driver John LaBoost Jr. gets the win in Super Comp. Team driver Joseph Santangelo gets the win in Stock Eliminator. And as we've mentioned before, Jed, it's good to be Anthony Bertozzi. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't even mean you're at the racetrack. You know, it's just good to be Antoine, no matter where you are, what you're doing. This guy, this guy comes up roses at the landfill, brother. I mean, it doesn't matter what Anthony's doing. He's an absolute winner and things go his way. And uh, obviously here in the drag racing world, it's no different, but you know, it ain't like he's picking a bunch of busters. You know, he don't, he don't have Jared Pennington in his stalker or, you know, <laughs> Todd Ewing in his super comp car. I mean, he's got freaking LaBoose and Santangelo, you know, this guy's picking winners. <laughs> I hope Bones don't hear that. Shouts to Bones. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that made the list as well. Other <laughs> winners from the Norwalk National event. Uh, re- uh, former NHRA World Champion Jeremy Mason. Super Gas winner over Jason Kenny. Big weekend for the Kennys. I mentioned earlier that Al got the win in top dragster. Jason added runner-up honors in Super Gas. Bruno Massel Jr. with the winner in Competition Eliminator. I don't know if Bruno's schedule will allow him to make the necessary divisional events, but he is certainly one. We, we mentioned Greg Camplain. We mentioned Pete Dagnolo as the early leaders in competition eliminator. Bruno makes some noise. We haven't heard much from Frank Aragona this year. I think there's only been one Division One event. He's run a couple of national events. You would assume that he'll be in the mix as well. Um, that competition eliminator points chase, it just feels like it's going to be really juicy um, this season. Kurt Frederick, uh, the other winner from the World National Event, winner in top sportsman. I think that's all the racing action we had jed what did we miss well i know there was a, a race in texas luke um oh a, wait the big race in texas and uh, i know they're uh they're i think they had two 30s and a 40 i'm not sure who their winners were because it was running the same time as me but i did see that johnny Ezel got the win over scotty in the 40 grander in the largest race of the weekend I, i'm not sure who got the other wins uh, maybe mark can throw that out here uh, if uh, if if Johnny Braggart Racer keeps practicing. He might he might end up being pretty good at this. Yeah, that dude. You know, just a little more speed time, and uh, and he'll be okay, I think. Back to back major final round appearances. We just mentioned that Johnny was runner up to Bryson Scruggs in the twenty grander at Holly Springs a week prior. He follows that up on an even bigger stage to win forty thousand dollars over Scotty Richardson at uh, I thirty. Uh, the other winners from the weekend, the other big winners. Uh, the two 30 granders one was won by peeps pennington again no surprise there the closer of the weekend the sunday 30 grander the winner and runner-up shared the same name how about slate cummings running himself in the final for 30 big J. oh oh baby gap getting it done running himself in a 30 grand final and my cousin won a 30 grander i didn't even know it how about that the skinny penitents the skinningtons that's uh that's incredible uh peeps definitely on fire uh that's a uh, that's couple of great performances back to back for him between the the red white and blue and uh, the race at I thirty and, and of course Slate running himself in a final for thirty k that's uh, that's huge news and that's definitely something that, that we like to talk about here on the show so great job Slate uh, he's he's had his ups and downs this year with uh, with obviously the accident but really cool to uh, to see him get a, a huge win out there in Texas and. Luke, real quick before we wrap up Texas, uh, I believe the Big Nasty Award was was given there, if I remember correctly. 
No, that was a Disco Dean's race. And, uh, oh, it was Disco Dean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But this was a cool idea. It's worth touching on. So this was uh, at Disco Dean's, what, I believe it's the Star Spangled Bang- Banger. Star Spangled Banger uh, event. <laughs> up at, uh, you got to be careful with that. Don't yeah. don't don't Easy. Google that, kids. Do Easy. not. No, do not. Don't put that one in the Google machine. <laughs> I, I, can, I can give you no guarantees there whatsoever. If you do, um, you're probably going to need your credit card. So. <laughs> <laughs> is it, Jed? Is, was, is that a bracket racer, an adult film star, or <laughs> yeah. an Olympian. Um, <laughs> a cool thing that Disco put together at his event in memory of Kyle Seipel, the Big Nasty. Um, they had a, a, a Big Nasty award, and it was basically for the, the two racers that side-by-side put together the nastiest run of the weekend. Uh, cool idea, cool way to honor Kyle Seipel. The, uh, the recipients of that award, uh, how about Billy Back and Kurt Vaultman? So if I'm reading this right, I believe it was Vaultman getting the win was two dead one. So that's three total, the way I do my math. Uh, Billy Back in the other lane laid down a a not so stellar, but relatively equally impressive 007 dead zero. No good. That's a big nasty run. Curtis and, and, and is deserving of the big nasty award. Yeah, they. Uh, uh, I apologize, Disco Dean. I, I thought that I'd heard that was in Texas, but nonetheless, uh, Disco coming up with a great idea there, the Big Nasty Award. He gave a, a really cool, uh, looks like a, a, a piece of steel that has Big Nasty winner and Big Nasty runner up on another one in memory of Kyle Seipel, and it's uh, it's burned out with looks like a plasma cutter and really cool trophies. Great idea in memory of, of our great friend Kyle Seipel and uh, what Billy Back accomplished was a great run. Uh, come up short to the three pack of Altman, but Billy Back did that in a 430 car, seven dead zero, um, 430 with a zero uh, at uh, 163. So really cool, uh, really cool deal there. And, and guys that I'm sure will cherish, uh, what, no matter which side of that trophy they got, they'll cherish that award for a long time. And uh, Luke, to wrap us up, um, uh, obviously we're talking about Big Nasty, and, and there's been a you know we've we've replayed the shows where we've had him on as a guest, and uh, been a and a tremendous outpouring of love for him, and and he's going to be missed. Um, it was super emotional being at Bristol this weekend, and every time I looked at a certain spot in the tower or in the conference room or <clears throat> excuse me on the racetrack, um, I. I thought about, you know, a memory I had with Kyle, you know, something he said that was funny here, something he did that was a great decision here, or there, or joke he told, just uh, his his presence was there, although not in body, but in spirit uh, all weekend with me. And there were some, you know, some certainly some quiet times where I, I just sat and thought about him a lot and how he impacted things that I do today and how I go about promotion business so uh, Kyle's presence was felt he's going to be missed but unfortunately just a few days after uh, Kyle left us we lost another great friend uh, a guy that you and I know very well and in my part of the country he is a a staple at the the big money events and (laughs) you know somebody is happy all the time I never see him get upset or complain or anything even when it didn't go very well for him at all and uh, Kenny Dixon uh, KD um, was just an awesome guy uh, always happy Uh, anytime I was around him or parked near him you know he and his wife would make sure that 
I got a ham sandwich when it was time to make ham sandwiches or, hey, there's going to be an extra steak on that grill over there. Uh, you know, let me know how you want it cooked and it'll be waiting on you or, you know, just just that kind of guy. You know, a guy that I felt like I only saw at the races, but I could go to anytime, anywhere and say, Kenny, this is what I need. And he'd find a way to make it happen. Big heart, wonderful guy, loved by everyone. And uh, he, he left us way too soon and, and definitely thoughts and prayers to his family and friends that, that are mourning his loss right now. And uh, certainly uh, want to lift them up and, and, and hope that they find the strength to get through it because uh, Kenny Dixon's a loss, man. Just, just like Kyle, Kenny impacted a lot of lives and, and, and that loss hurts. Yeah, Kenny was just such a, a staple of big dollar bracket racing in the Southeast. Like I, to the best of my recollection, like I met Kenny at one of the first races that I ever came to at Huntsville or Atlanta. And it just seemed like for the 20 years that I've done that, he was always at all of those events, right? And and had his share of success, was a very successful racer. And just to your point, uh, just a fun guy to be around, had a unique energy about him, always smiling, never uh, uh, a harsh word. Like uh, it's a loss. It's definitely, uh, you know, all our thoughts are, are rightfully with Kyle Seipel and his family, but this is another big dent in the racing community and, and somebody that we're going to miss tremendously. Yep. Very well said, my friend. Uh, so again, thoughts and prayers out to, to everybody that, uh, that, that, Kenny left behind it that's feeling that loss right now um we certainly know how you feel and uh, may Kenny rest in peace with with our great friend Kyle Seipel Luke that's a, a somber ending to the show but uh you know it had to come to an end at some point and it was it was a really good time for us to to finish it up by talking about a couple of great souls absolutely and I can I can lift us up a little bit I can lighten the mood I got shouts well well, definitely uh, looking forward to shouts. And, um, you know, before we get to that, we definitely want to tell everybody to, to reach out to us on our uh, uh, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, tell us what you loved about the show, what you didn't like about the show. Tim Jackson, you said you don't do social media, but, you know, you, you can get somebody to post for you that, that you knew, just like you said, Luke's real smart and I'm really not. So, uh, this show showed that because I, I remember Why do saying, I feel like those are your words and not Tim's? No, Tim said that verbatim. Um, ver, see, verbatim. That's stuff I don't use because uh, I, I think back in the show where I said you're on a torrid pace. I don't even know what torrid means, Luke. I, did I put that in the right place? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's perfect. Sounds good to me. I must have heard a smart guy. I must have heard you say that or something because torrid's a word I don't know that I've ever used. And it just came out. And I, I was hoping, I was like, damn, I hope that's, I hope that's in the right spot. But Luke didn't correct me or anything, so I think that's I'm okay. What, you didn't that's even what you do when you open your Kit Kat bar, right? You tore it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> but again, folks, uh, reach out to us on the, the Facebook page and uh, you know, tell us what you're loving, what you're hating, uh, something that we said that was right or wrong, correct us, and uh, just let us know that you're out there listening because we love to hear from you, whether it's through Messenger or uh, publicly out there for everyone to see. And we prefer publicly because uh, Mark gets those messages and, you know, he lets us know what's happening. But um, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see you post on our page because uh, that helps me know that you're listening and helps Luke know. So reach out to us. Tell us what's up. Now, Luke, this is uh, it's going to be good shouts right here. So you have at it, my friend. Big Jazz, shouts to your torrid pace. I've been saving this all show. I it and now it's 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 going to be forgotten. 
because it was over an hour ago. But I want to shout out Trey at Bristol Dragway for his, his unique abil ability to do math and realize that, hey, this could work with any number of cars as long as it's divisional, divisible by four. You knuckleheads yes. could obviously not figure that no, out. We could not figure that out. Shouts to like, Trey. What? That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what a great <laughs> Shouts to, I believe it was uh, $100,000 guaranteed, Jed. That is, quote, a lot of damn money. Yes, Shouts yeah. to uh, Lester Johnson, my favorite class minimum Lester Johnson shouts to Adam Davis my favorite I'm holding a blatant number and I'm gonna let everyone know that Adam Davis shouts to yeah. Heath Davis for being Adam's brother for being from the state of Alabama and for winning twenty thousand dollars because yeah. that is apparently what people from Alabama do shouts to the hashtag loyal listeners everywhere but specifically to Tim Jackson and John Nechaporchik shouts to more gooder and shouts to every driver across the country that Anthony Bertozzi has not enlisted to drive his race vehicles, specifically our good friend Todd Bones Ewing. Man, that was a freaking home run right there. You crushed that, bro. You crushed that. That was like that was like driving your super gas car. You just couldn't do nothing wrong right there. I was that was impressive. Well done. <laughs> Uh, folks uh, reached out to us uh luke and i we both love to tweet i mean if you look back at my tweeting history uh, i have a, a huge following and a, a lot of tweets out there for you to follow so look back and, and tweet me because i love to be tweeted luke loves to be tweeted and if you work there on the twitter he is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i i am at jp11x and uh, certainly again would love to hear from you um, thank you for listening. It's really been a cool show. Uh, Luke and I have been apart now for, uh, I guess, the better part of two weeks. So good to be back chatting, drag racing with you, Luke. And uh, listeners, we appreciate you very much for tuning in. And we can't wait to be back real soon talking to you about more sportsman drag racing. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Dot com. Right 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.